0: Well, the son asked, and the dad said, okay. He said, Daddy, would you preach? And I said, said, sure, (laughs) on Father's Day. And I said, sure. So uh, just to get us started, I kind of want to refresh us where we are with Unfold. So Unfold is our year-long study together, uh, biblically based. Uh, You heard of a Bible church? Have you heard of Bible churches? Some people call themselves, you know what, we're a Bible church too. Okay, so don't let people that are part of Bible churches think they are exclusive owners or possessors of the Bible. We're a Bible church too. In fact, we're spending a whole year in the Bible. Uh, We're discovering God's story. We are a storied people. And um, we're learning God's story so that God's story can become our story. And then in turn, we're able to share that story, both ours and God's, with other people that don't know this story, this gospel, this good news of of God's love for all. So first chapter, we're going to run through this real quick. First chapter, uh, we talked about God's deepest desire is to be in relationship with us. Why? Because God is love and God loves all. All means all. God loves all. The second chapter was we are who we are. And what are we? We're a hot mess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're a failed people. Uh, we're forgiven, but uh, we're, we're often uh, our own worst enemy. Um, but that doesn't thwart God. In, in chapter 3, we, we discover that God's just unrelenting in God's pursuit of us to forgive us, um, to give us new life, uh, what, what I guess I would call uh, lived resurrection. Resurrection doesn't come at the end of your life only. Resurrection should be coming periodically moment momentarily every moment of your day God lifts you up and resurrects you and that brings us to the fourth chapter where we are right now. Uh, flawed but empowered and Phil preached last week powerful sermon and So we are on this journey together. Um, Flawed, think about that for a moment. Flawed, but empowered. Do you feel the tension, uh, the polarity of that? A polarity is something that can't be uh, fixed. It can only be managed, a polarity. The tug and the pull of a magnet to attract or repel. uh, That's kind of what it feels like to be flawed, all of us, but also empowered. So today's passage of Scripture we have is ripe with tension and with struggle and with grit. It's Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20, and because of that, I'm not going to invite you to rise Uh, But I want you to rise up in heart and mind and curiosity as we hear these words on the conversion of Saul. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way... Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias will come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight." But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel." I myself will show him how much he must suffer for my sake, for the sake of my name. So Ananias went, entered the house, and he laid hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me? May the words of my mouth and the ponderings of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer, the one whose grace has power to transform us. For goodness sake. Amen. Yes, no, forever, never. Single words have power. They ring through the decades and generations. Can you imagine the power, the single word, freedom, to those enslaved, a hundred and 57 years ago today there's another word that's intriguing, fascinating it's a word that I love more than all other words even more than casual or Declan it is the mysterious word grace grace Years ago I heard a scholar say that we don't contain mystery. You and I don't. Mystery contains us. I like that. It's not like we're the keepers of mystery. Mystery keeps us. And I was thinking about that with the, with the word grace too. Is, is that not also the very same? Uh, we don't contain grace. Grace contains us. It's grace that fills us fills us up to the brim to an overflowing experience. Grace, by its very definition, can't be defined. And so when you, when you look in a dictionary or something, well, you'll get some sort of a... But it really doesn't fully describe what it is that God's about through grace for everything that God intended to accomplish. God has done so by grace the way god saved us loved us redeemed us empowers us flawed as we are the biggest flaw probably of our life is to think we aren't flawed i've always said the biggest sin in your life is to think that you're not a sinner that's that's pretty big sin I had a lady in a church one time. She didn't pray all of the Lord's prayer. She self-revealed this. It's not like I was out there looking at her. She just said she just never prayed, you know, forgive me of my sins. Because she didn't think she had many or enough to even have to. I thought, wow, we need to talk. (laughs) We need to talk a lot. All is grace. And all that can be said of God's character and nature and activity can't be expressed apart from the concept of grace yet grace is so far hard for us to comprehend because it can't be controlled it can't be contained it can't be defined it can't be corralled god's grace appears apart from our doing and yet we can do nothing of any value or worth or lasting without grace that's why i believe grace is so much a comfort to us and i think at the same time that's why it's such a threat yeah, grace can be a threat. We're never so good enough to deserve grace. God is always and willing to love us apart from our badness or our goodness. And by, in, and through grace, we receive exactly what we don't deserve. <laughs> we like receiving what we deserve. Pat on the back for a good job. <laughs> a thank you for, you know, but grace we receive and we don't deserve it, which makes it grace. We don't earn God's pardon. We don't win our way into eternal life. There's no one within the sound of my voice who by their merit or knowledge or gold stars or anthem sung, though it was beautiful, it was gorgeous, Okay, our sermons preached or sermons heard our tithes given, no one can earn or buy God's favor or merit. No one's made worthy or acceptable God by making the grade or the cut. Or by our own goodness or obedience or helpfulness or cheerfulness or sacrifice. Grace is what God does for us. Because we can't do it for ourselves. Apart from grace. Rather God's gift to us in and through Christ is a relationship of such pardon and grace. A new life. A new start. A life changing journey. Grace is life-changing and it's also life-giving. It does both at the same time, doesn't it? It changes your life and it sets you on a new course so that you don't always have to win. (laughs) You've already won if you're in grace. You're already winning if you're in grace. Even though it sometimes feels like you're losing because there's sacrifice involved. Grace is a comfort And for the very reason it is a comfort, it's also a threat. Let me tell you, let me explain a little bit about that. It's, It's a threat because you're not in control anymore. And some of you like control. Some of you, not all of you, but some of you like control. You like to call the shot. You like to be the one to have the answer. There there is a time, I think, in our life when we think that we are the umpire standing at home plate and we get to call strikes and balls on the people who are standing at the plate. We're the ones that get to call them safe or out. Who who put us in that position to do that? To be a judge over someone else? Do you remember what Jesus said? Judge not. Judge not. Lest ye be judged? Which brings me to the phrase, and I know I've shared this with a Sunday school class, so sorry about that, Uh, but I just need to say it to all of us. I think it's probably one, I I think sometimes we say things and we don't really know what we're saying, okay? So I'm going to give grace here. (laughs) No pun intended. But if you've ever ever used the, the phrase, there but for by the grace of God go I, knock it off. Okay? Really think about it because you've got to really think what you're saying. What you're basically saying, there but for the grace of God go I, means that person lacks grace. That somehow God's not present in their life. That God's withholding grace from them or doesn't think they're deserving of it. And so if you've ever said that before, repent. And forgive yourself and just take it out of your vocabulary because it's so disgraceful to grace. To discover grace for the first time or to rediscover it again and again day by day, moment by moment, experience by experience is to know that you are loved of God. You are loved of God Just as God loves all, without relying on what you do or who you are, you are loved. Rather, we're loved by God not because we're good, but in order that we can be made good. And only grace can do that. Grace may come in a moment. Uh, You may point to a time in your heart or your mind or your soul when a moment of grace Uh, erupted or appeared uh, or some sort sort of just all of a sudden it just spontaneously combusted in your life. We realize what God wants from us, has done for us, is willing to do with us. But grace has always been present in your life whether you knew it or not. A little baby this morning didn't know what was happening to him, did he? We call that a prevenient sacrament. When the baby doesn't know. God knows. You know. God's already working. God's already working in the life of that child. But grace has always been present. Grace may arrive at a fixed point in your life, in a moment of your life, but this is a point, and I'm, I'm going to get on to Saul here in a second. Grace comes at a moment in your life, but it always is meant for momentum. It's to take you where you are and carry you forward. Not leave you where you are. That's what the gift of grace really does to you. It not only affirms you and loves you where you are. It also gives you power to move forward and ahead. The upward calling of Christ. Few stories, I think, in the scriptures. Reveal the moment and momentum of grace like that of Saul turned Paul. You can read about his conversion uh, not once or twice, three times in the book of Acts. <laughs> in the same book, his conversion is told on three separate occasions. You can also turn to the, to the letter to the Galatians where he shares his own conversion story. He's a perfect example of thinking and believing that he could earn and win God's merit and favor by being observant. By being a good law abiding Jew. He was so convinced he was on the right having studied under Gamaliel and having been recognized as a Pharisee of Pharisees he was obedient, observant, obsessed with keeping the law he even resorted to violence he was present at the stoning of the first martyr, Stephen I didn't know if I was going to really say it did you hear what the Baptist preacher said a couple of weeks ago? At Steadfast Baptist Church. Did you hear what he said? That homosexuals need to be lined up and shot. My first words were I was really angry, and I'm still angry and I'm still mad, but I I, I say this what that Baptist preacher needs to know and hear is the word grace. He needs to have a conversion, he needs to have his heart changed. I can't do that for him. My preaching won't do that. But maybe the Lord can intervene in his life and do something with him. He sure did to Paul. Saul. And so, this person who was resorting to violence to pursue and persecute converts to Christ... He learned it's not about law, but it's about grace. And here's the thing about grace. I'm back to grace. I know it's very messy, isn't it? It's not tidy. It's not convenient. It's vulnerable. It's risky. It's radical. It's revolutionary. Grace always has been. Because the moment you realize all it's grace and that you are finally caught up in its current... It knocks your feet out from underneath you because in that moment, it has momentum and it carries you. In a brilliant flash of grace, Jesus appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road and he was blinded. All all he saw in his message and mission, all that had given him meaning to his life was turned upside down. And he did a perfect 180. From being persecutor to proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And I thought about this week as we're writing the sermon. He was blinded for how many days? Did you pick up on that? Three days, right? How long was Jesus in the grave? Three days. He had a resurrection. (laughs) In those three days what happened is Jesus raised him up. And he became then a servant. A servant, a slave, he says. Enslaved to Christ. He considered everything of his life garbage. As long as he could have Christ. Christ crucified and Christ risen. It became his mantra. So it began to pervade. He stumbled upon God's grace. That it was always and ever present. Paul's passion. And Paul Here's the interesting about Paul. Paul, our greatest theologian in the church, is in the Gospels that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the word grace appear only mm, maybe half a dozen times. And it's all located in the Gospel of John. In Paul's writings to the church, he used the word grace over a hundred times. He talked about it all the time. He preached about it all the time. He lived it all the time. Grace pervaded his entire understanding of what God wants us to understand. That we are graced beyond our awareness to recognize and respond to, to God's grace sometimes. That we're graced beyond our ability to relax at times and ride the momentum of grace Because grace propels us to go to places we didn't ask to go and to be with people we'd rather not be with (laughs) at times. It expands our horizons to gaze upon new shores. Grace becomes Paul's first word to the churches. For years and years and years, when I did opening worship and had the opening words, my first words were grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice the order of that? What comes first? Grace to you and peace. You and I have no peace without grace. Grace is previous. It's grace. Because grace is present always Paul notes it at the beginning of all of his letters. Before he gets down to the business of what he's writing to the churches about. And boy did he have some issues to contend with. We think we have it tough in the church today. <laughs> Why don't you read some of his letters. <laughs> and see what they were struggling with. But by grace we're going to make it through this. Okay. Alright. Okay. Alright. Okay, grace isn't going to let us down. And so when Paul wrote to the churches in Rome and Thessaloniki and Galatia and Colossae and all those other places that he wrote, I wonder what he would write to little Forest Hills and Forest Hills and Lakewood and Lockwood, Lake Highlands, wherever it is that we live as church. I think he would say grace comes first, folks, because the moment and the momentum of grace occupies. Grace was the best thing Paul can offer because it was the best thing he ever received from God. May it be with you and me. So grace to you and peace from God who is our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.